You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Matthew 8, 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there was a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the seas obey him? Let's pray. Father, would you help us um, come underneath the authority of your word this morning and view it as a joy, view it as a gift. May we be thankful, Lord, for what we see here today and um, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a situation where there was some type of water danger? A lot of us have boats, we go to the lake, you know, you got the lake house. So we, a lot of, you know, part of human experience is enjoying spending time on the water, in the water. Um, some of you probably have stories about when you were out in some type of a boat and the conditions were not ideal. Like you're out in the canoe. I remember one time I was out camping with my dad when I was really little and we were out in the lake and he's, you know, rowing the canoe, and I was pretty worthless. I was too small, and it, kind of the wind came up, and there was winds. And I remember thinking, this is kind of scary. Like, is Dad going to get us back to shore, you know? And I'm sure many of you have stories like this, and you know that that can feel really intimidating, right? I remember after watching Titanic for the first time, I mean, I was like, boats, no thank you. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, the movie is intense. It's really scary. But the deal is, open water is really intimidating if you don't know what you're doing, right? Why is that? Well, number one, we're not fish, right? Number two, because it's really powerful. The the force of moving water in a variety of forms is very, very powerful, terrifying at times. And oftentimes, in in open water, it's very, very vast, right? Where oftentimes at the ocean or a huge sea or a huge lake, you can't see Right? You can't see land. That feels overwhelming at times. It's like, it's like you're touching eternity, sort of. Like, I can't reach the end of where that stops. So, open water sometimes makes us feel, you know, this is something really huge and I'm really small. Touching something that feels infinite, and the infinite is scary. Our minds can't comprehend it. It's, it's out of our control, right? And that's where this text finds us today. We're out on the open water, and things turn quite scary, right? But before we talk about them being out there, let's pause and let's think about verse 23 for a second. It seems very, very simple, but look at 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Kind of a boring verse, right? What's there to say about that? 
When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Well, it might sound simple, but it might not be so simple. Verse 23, Jesus leads, disciples follow. It's not the other way around, right? Jesus leads, disciples follow. Now contrast that to two weeks ago. Just glance back up in your text to verse 18. These two guys come and stop Jesus and say, hey, we're, we're, we're game for whatever you got, Jesus. And he's like, are you game for being homeless? Are you game for making me ultimate, even over family matters? So we're not sure if they followed or not in verses 18 through 22. See that? They said they would, but we don't know if they did. But Jesus' true disciples, see, you don't, you, don't, you don't read in verse 23, Jesus said we're getting in the boat, and they're like, oh, wait, come on, Jesus. Like, disciples follow. We don't read about hesitation in verse 23, do we? True disciples don't hesitate. And here's the thing. If you follow Jesus, he might lead you into situations that could be scary. Forces of nature are scary at times. We're not fish. Open water is not our comfort zone as human beings. So I think this story, just verse 23 by itself, tells us something about following Jesus that I think all of us need to come to terms with. And I think it's this. Jesus might, and I might even say will, call us to follow him into situations that might not feel super secure for those doing the following. Let me say that again. Jesus might, or I would dare to say Jesus will, call us to follow him into situations that might not feel super secure for those doing the following. I think we should meditate on verse 23. Like when you get out on the open water, when there's especially, you know, 2,000 years ago, no GPS, no gas-powered motors, things can get dicey real quick. So after considering, if Jesus says that, quote, we're going to get in the boat, what's, what's the response going to be? Oh, Jesus, hold up. I can't swim. Jesus, hold up. There, there's, no, there's no life preservers in the boat. Jesus, hold up. It looks kind of stormy out there. Jesus leads and disciples follow. We might say that's nice from the text, but what does that mean for me today? Like Jesus isn't physically here to tell me to get into some boat, right? Like how do we know where Jesus is leading? I don't, how, how do I follow him today where he's leading? And it's, it's real simple. We, we read his word. This is why reading the Bible is so important. It's not just some Christian checklist right, is to know our Savior. Where does he want me to go? Where is he taking me? What is God's will for my life? A lot of us sit around and go, man, what am I supposed to do with my life? Well, you got a lot of freedom, but these are the boundaries, right? And those boundaries bring freedom, okay? So we read his word. This is what he wants for us. And then we ask the Holy Spirit in prayer to to give us the faith to do verse 23. We're not going to hesitate. And then knowing that he promises to be with us. See that? 
He said, we are going to get in the boat, is what he said to the disciples. And that's what he says at the end of Matthew that we'll see in, in a few months. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, or check it out, Jesus says, I'm with you always till the end. So how do we get in the boat today? We read God's word. How do we follow Jesus? We read God's word. We ask the Holy Spirit to help us in prayer. And then we meditate on the fact that he's with us. So here's the something we're going to see in, in, in the text for today. It's better to be with Jesus outside of our comfort zone than without Jesus and perfectly placed in our comfort zone. It's better to be with Jesus outside of our comfort zone than without Jesus and perfectly placed in our comfort zone. So let's, let's check out outside the comfort zone here. Verse 24. And behold, as Matthew just saying, check it out. This is significant. There arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he, Jesus, was asleep. So when you're reading your Bible, it's so important, if you can do it, I I preach this to myself, to slow down and really pay attention to the words. Like, all of the words matter. So for us to get a grasp on this text, we've got to pay attention to the words. What does it say? There arose a small storm? Medium storm? No, it's a great storm. So what does that look like? Y'all been in a great storm before? All of us have, I'm sure. So this is a great storm. Hard enough if you're in your house, right? I remember as a kid, just got freaked out by the thunder. Want to go climb in bed with my parents, you know? But if you're in a house, it's, it might be scary enough if the windows are shaking. But if you're out on the water and it's a great storm, like that's a different deal. So it's a great storm, and, and, and here's the picture of that. The boat is being swamped by the waves. So big waves, powerful, right? Powerful. I remember one time when we were out east in the ocean, and I was just trying to, you know, mess around doing some body surfing. And you know how that works, where you're, like, timing it. The waves come in, and you, like, jump, and then you slide in. And I mistimed it, and that... That It was probably like a four-foot wave or something, nothing too scary. But, like, it landed on my head, and I'd never had that happen before, where for a split second, you're just pushed down. And you're, like, topsy-turvy. You don't know which end is up, and you're just, like, waiting for the ability to, like, come out from under the water. And it was just a split second, but it's terrifying for that split second of, like, I'm completely out of control here. Like, this water is just forcing me down. And there's literally nothing I can do about it. And then, you know, a second later, it's over. But that's, that's, that's terrifying. That water is so much more powerful than I was in the moment. And this text, when it says that the, the waves, they were probably a lot bigger than four-foot waves. Because this is a boat that can hold 12 dudes and probably a big catch of fish. And if waves are swamping against that boat, these are some big waves, Right? And keep in mind this, like these are experienced fishermen. Not all of them, some of them were very experienced fishermen. So they'd seen storms before, they had experience, right? And so when you read in the text that if the, if the pros, if the professionals feel like they're going to die, like you know we got a problem, right? It's like when I'm on an airplane, I fly a lot now, and if there's turbulence, I always look at the flight attendants, Right? 
Because if they're freaking out, then I know we're really in trouble. And, you know, praise, I've heard people tell those stories. Praise God, I've never been in one of those situations where, like, the, the stewardesses are crying and people are, like, holding hands across the aisle and, like, it's not a good scene. Um, I, I pray that never happens to me. But, you know, you look to the professionals to really gauge, like, okay, what's happening here? And so these guys are pros and they're flipping out. So this is a big deal. This is a serious, serious deal. So they think they're going to die. This, the storm was a biggie. The, the Greek word here for storm denotes like a profound shaking, like an earthquake. Um, there's different words you can use, I guess, in Greek for, for a storm. And this one is very rare and unique. More like an earthquake is what the, the, the Greek term symbolizes. So traumatic stuff here. Okay, so what does the text say? There's a profound contrast The contrast is there's extreme chaos over here, and on the other hand, there's tranquility. Jesus is asleep. You feel that contrast? Like, who sleeps through a storm like this? Probably someone who's really, really tired, right? And probably someone who knows that nothing can touch him until the appointed time. Jesus says often in the book of John, my hour has not yet come. Meaning nobody can do anything to me until that hour has come. Jesus knew he didn't come to drown in the sea. Jesus knows his calling. He's secure in his calling. And so what does he do? He sleeps well. And and we've seen just in chapter 8... Jesus has had some serious ministry output, right? And he was physically tired. His humanity was real. So he gets tired. He needs to sleep. He can sleep well. He knows his calling is clear. So we got this contrast. Crazy, traumatic storm. Jesus asleep. What do the disciples do? We got to wake him up. Verse 25. Check it out. And they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord. We are perishing. You ever gone to God like this? With that kind of cry? You feel like you're going to die? Seems really serious. The situation is grave. And God kind of feels aloof. Like he's not knowing what's going on or maybe he doesn't care. Like, God, where are you? Can't you see what I'm going through here? Why don't you come rescue me now? And what's so cool about the Bible is the Bible gives us language for this. These kind of emotions are not foreign in the scriptures. Look at the screen. Uh, I'll just show you here. This is just, it's all over the place in the Psalms. It's just here in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So the the psalmist and the disciples display real human emotions here. In the face of danger, in the face of threat. God, 
Jesus, we need you. Please don't be far off. Come near, awake, and help us. Look at verse 26. So what what does Jesus do? And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? So when we read that, the question almost sounds a little like, Jesus, isn't it obvious why we're afraid? But think about this. Jesus responds with a question. And when Jesus asks a question, Think about this when you read the New Testament, when you read the Gospels. When Jesus asks a question, it's really wise to like pause and reflect on the answer. So instead of saying, Jesus, duh, right? Isn't it obvious? Well, maybe it's not so obvious. Maybe there's more going on here that I'm really seeing. Like Jesus is not wasting his breath when he asks a question. He's not just making small talk. Right, and, and I think it might be something like this. It may be that his definition of things that are scary is very different than ours. So it might seem obvious to us that we should be scared, but maybe, just maybe, the disciples have the wrong perspective. For example, let me just give you two biblical examples, and then we'll come back to the text. For example, if Jesus asks me why I'm so afraid, a lot of us deal with fear in a variety of ways. I do. And through the Holy Spirit, working through his word, he asks me many times, Zach, why are you so afraid? It might be time for me to stop and actually think about that. Good question. Why am I so afraid? Sometimes we're we're afraid that people are going to harm us. Listen to what Jesus says about that. This is Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more of more value than many sparrows. So Jesus seems to say that fear of people harming us is not really what we should be afraid of. He's looking at things different, and he asks us to take on his perspective. You see that? He's like, you've forgotten something. I know that you're really scared of whatever physical threat may be out there. But he says, you know what you have to see? You have to see more of God, and what does that mean? What does that represent? What perspective does that give you? See, God is the one with all the power. And so, see, Jesus is asking us here to look at it differently. I want you to look at it with my vision. 
He asks us to meditate on reality as he understands and sees reality. He's saying, maybe if we would do that, like Matthew 10, when I'm scared of physical harm, my my fear would decrease. Because my vision changes. I'm not looking at those that can kill the body. I'm looking at those, I'm looking at the one that orders all of eternity. This life is much more than just this physical space that we're in right now. What if you're afraid of of not having something you need? We all wrestle with fear when it comes to harm. We all wrestle with fear when it comes to provision. Will I have what I need? And we all experience that in some way or another in this room right now. So if Jesus asked me through his word, Holy Spirit working through his word, he asks us all the time, like, why are you afraid that I'm not going to provide? It might be time to stop and think about that. Okay, yeah, Jesus, why am I so afraid that you're not going to provide? And then he comes to us in his word, and he says in Matthew 6, 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Great question, is it? Do I believe that? Like, is my life more than that? Like, if I don't have those things, what's going to happen? Well, I, would, I could die, and then what? Good question. Then what? How do you know? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Like, birds aren't anxious about provision, and God still takes care of them. Are you not more valuable than them? Verse 27, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Same phrase, O you of little faith. Great question. God does this for flowers, grass. Great question. Why am I so wound up? Yeah, Jesus, that's a great question. Why am I so wound up? So let's go back to our text, Matthew 8. Disciples freaking out, Jesus not freaking out, he's asleep. They wake him and he says this in the form of a question. He said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Why would Jesus say that? Well, maybe for Jesus, maybe the storm is not the ultimate reality. Maybe the storm is not the thing that he sees. Maybe it's because Jesus knows that he is the ultimate reality. Right? Like, disciples, have you forgotten who's in the boat with you? See, the the storm, I know this is all you can see, but let me try to readjust your vision. The storm is not the most fearful thing in, in your presence right now. You need to have eyes to see that Jesus, simply by his presence, sleeping or not, is the most fearful thing in your presence. And this is what Jesus wants to show them when he gets up from his nap and he stands and he just speaks. Verse 26, and then he rose and rebuked 
the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Verse 27, and the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and seas obey him? Another great question, what sort of man is this? He's not just a man. He's the God-man. And just like God in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, all he has to do is speak, and it is. Let there be light, that's it. That's all that needs to be said, and it was. There's a one-to-one connection between the word of God and a result. No hocus-pocus, no rubbing the genie, nothing. No magic formula, no casting of spells. It just is God's word, and it, and it comes to pass. Jesus commands creation to bow to his word in the exact same way. So what do the disciples learn? They learn real quick that Jesus is the ultimate reality to be reckoned with. Not their fear. Not the storm. Jesus' view of what is happening is the view to take on. So, So here's a question for us. What's the fear that's gripping you right now? Is it some type of physical danger? Is it a fear that others are out to get you in some way? Is it a fear that that God will not provide? I think from our text this morning, God wants us to see, he wants us to all remember who is the Lord of the universe, right? Those people we fear are not ultimate. Jesus is ultimate. Those things that we think we need to have, if we don't have them, or or we think that we're done for, they're not ultimate. Jesus is ultimate. And, And so here's the question for disciples then and disciples now. Why are we so afraid, us with little faith? Do we know who's in the boat with us? Do we know who's promised to be with us? Even if the waves are crashing around you in some form right now, do you know who is with you, who's promised to be with you? Jesus is ultimate. The storm is not ultimate. So we move forward together by faith in this Jesus and not ourselves. We move forward with with greater fear of God and less fear of the storm. Our our hope is not in our power to control the elements, but in Jesus' power, knowing that he is with us. And and here's the foundation of our faith. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came to this earth to bear the wrath of God in our place where he died as our substitute. And he predicted that that would not be the end for him, and it wasn't. And he rose from the dead, proving it all true. So if he says that he's with you, he's with you. If he says that he's ultimate, he's ultimate. If he says, hey, I want you to adjust your vision to see things as I see them, then we pray, Lord, be, be our vision. Be our vision. 
Lord, we know you can be trusted. The storm is not ultimate. Jesus is ultimate. Let's pray. Father, would you help us have eyes to see as you see things? Wherever we are in this room right now, Lord, may you loom so large in your death and your resurrection that's the foundation of our hope so that we would leave here trusting you and you alone. Not our circumstances, but that you're with us in them, Lord. And would you propel us forward by faith in Jesus' name. Amen.